All right. <clears throat> thank you, guys. Now, thank you. Have a seat. Sorry to disappoint you. I know you had high expectations for the campus pastor to be up for. That's who you stood for, Pastor Josh Walters. But it's my honor to be with you this morning. I serve as the pastor of small groups. My name is Jeff Reppert, and it's an honor to be here. I want to welcome those who are joining us online or another campus. So glad that you're with us as well. Why don't we pray together as we get started? Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for what was begun yesterday in the hearts of people who were serving and the hearts of people who were served and just coming together to receive love and kindness and just to start a movement, Lord, of, of caring for people in pain, especially as we continue to recover and return to a, a new normal. Lord, I pray that in this time that you would meet us where we are, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, that our hearts and our minds would be receptive to what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a question as we get started, when is the last time that you needed a neighbor to step in and save the day? You know what I'm talking about, like a good Samaritan moment. I'm sure you don't have to go too far back in your memory bank to, re to remember a time when you just needed to be rescued by a neighbor, someone to step in and help you out at just the right time, just the right place. I remember when my wife Elizabeth and I were newly married, we were living in Dallas, Texas, and uh, we were young and broke, but we were in love and we were determined to have the most fun possible as newlyweds. So we did what any Texan would do and we went to the Dallas, Texas State Fair, the fairgrounds right there in, in Texas. And it was an incredible day. We didn't have a lot of money, but we had a lot of fun. We avoided all the deep fried Oreos, all the deep fried peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, all the deep fried everything. And that's probably why it was a lot of fun, because we could actually walk out of the park instead of, you know, crawling out. <laughs> we had a ton of fun on a budget. And as the night was closing down and as the vendors were, you know, wrapping things up or walking out of the park, and as we're approaching the exit gate, lo and behold, this beautiful piece of pink cotton candy is floating my way. And I'm an opportunist. I'm willing to take a risk. I reach up and I'm thinking to myself, this is like a gift from the angels of heaven. You know, come on, this is my moment. And I reach up and I grab that piece of cotton candy and I yell, bonus cotton candy. And I'm putting it in my mouth. And out of nowhere, my brother-in-law, Brian, ninja slaps my hand. He'll pull it out some black belt karate movie, ninja slaps my wrist, and the piece of cotton candy floats sadly to the dirty fairground. And I'm not that much of a risk taker to pick it up and put it back in my mouth. And he, he yells at me. He says, Jeff, where in the world do you see a cotton candy machine anywhere to be found? Where do you see a cotton candy vendor? There was nothing around. He said, for all you know, that could have been belly button lint from a fairground operator. And I thought to myself, good point but I was willing to take my chances. <laughs> Maybe you were too. Maybe you're a risk taker like me. Needless to say, man, he saved the day. He was, my, he was my neighbor. He was my good Samaritan in that moment, saving me from the mysterious fairground fuzz that probably would have sent me into some unknown disease. I'm thankful that he was a neighbor. Would you agree? Would you agree that we all need a neighbor in a pinch? Would you agree that we all need a neighbor in a pinch? Well, the, when I mentioned Good Samaritan, it, it really required no explanation for us. Good Samaritan has become a household name. It's used all around the world, Good Samaritan. In fact, ministries and organizations have been, have been built and created around that concept. 
It's a universal concept because it addresses a universal need. It actually originated with Jesus himself. He's the one who originated this concept of Good Samaritan. It's, it's the middle of his ministry. He's teaching. He's healing. He's going along, training his disciples. And one day he's tested by an expert in Old Testament law on what it means to be a good neighbor. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I, I really believe in this moment in our culture, it's time for us to redefine what it means to be a good neighbor and take on Jesus's heart for what it means to be a neighbor. And so this lawyer shows up and, and asks Jesus, trying to put him to the test. And we know it's going to be interesting anytime someone tries to put Jesus to the test. This guy is an expert in Old Testament law. He's, a, he's, an, he's an authority on the law. He teaches it. He interprets it day in and day out. So the, the authority on the law is trying to test the author of the law. So it's going to be an interesting showdown um, that, we're gonna, that we get to peek into during this episode in Jesus' ministry. So the lawyer shows up in Luke chapter 10, says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, in familiar fashion, he puts the question back on the lawyer, and he says, Well, what's written in the law, and how do you read it? And the lawyer is steps up to the test. Okay, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Okay, the law says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And it doesn't stop there. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Bravo, right? The expert in the law had the right answer. And would you agree that's actually the easy part? Having the right answer, having the right thing to say. When you're asked a question about like a, a softball question like that, we would expect him to have the right answer. And Jesus then says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. He uses the word orthos. We get orthodox. He says, you have the right thinking. You're on the right thought pattern. You have the right belief. You're orthodox. Now I want you to line that up with right living. I want, to, I want you to line up your profession with your practice. He says, do this and you will live. And this is actually the tension point. This is the, the dilemma. This is the turning point in this story because there oftentimes exists, if you're anything like me, there oftentimes ex exists a gap between knowing the best thing to do for somebody and actually doing it. Would you agree with that? That too often there is a gap that exists between knowing the best thing, having the right answer, knowing the best thing to do, and actually stepping into that moment and doing it. So the question is, as we kind of pick back up with this story, the question is, how do we close that gap? Because we all want to, right? We all want to close that gap between not just knowing the best thing to do, not just having the right answer, but actually living it out and doing the best thing for another person. Would you agree that we want to close that gap? For a variety of reasons, that gap exists. I remember um, one time my wife and I were visiting my parents in upstate New York in their small town, and we had some time to spare, so we stepped into their their the village variety, the variety store there, the five and dime. I remember going there as a kid and, and buying penny candy. Um, at this day and age, I had to pull out my credit card to buy penny candy um, due to inflation. So penny candy probably no longer exists. At any rate, we were in the, the variety store and we're hanging out, checking out the different things that they had to sell. And lo and behold, while we're shopping, 
the town super socially awkward person walks in. The notorious awkward person, harmless person, but so awkward. And I know you know that person. I know they exist in your family. I know they're one of your relatives. Maybe you are that person, right? They catch you in the most awkward moments with the strangest topics that you care nothing about and you'd want to get out of the situation, but you're cornered by this person who will not stop and will not let you go. There's a relentless grip on you, right? And so this, the town's super socially awkward person walks in and I come down the aisle and I look up and I realize my wife has been cornered by this person. She's caught in the strangest conversation. I learned later it's a conversation about the different sounds that snakes make. Who knew? I mean, who knew there were different sounds that snakes make? And so as I'm walking down the aisle, our eyes lock, our eyes meet, and she's looking at me, pleading through her eyes, saying, please, if you love me, save me now. And so what do I do? I do what any of us would have done. I walk towards her and I make a U-turn and I go back down the aisle. Now, listen, was that the wrong thing to do? Yes. Would I have done it? Differently? No. <laughs> I would have done the same thing all over again. I knew the right thing to do, but I didn't do it. Thankfully, my dad was there too, and he was the hero of the, he's the hero of the story. He knew the best thing to do. He went and he intercepted the conversation, and he saved her from that awkward moment after being educated on the different sounds that snakes made. He was the hero because he knew the best thing to do. I'm still the butt of the joke because I made a U-turn and dodged that situation. For whatever reason, there are at times a gap that exists between knowing the best thing to do and actually doing the best thing. So how do we close that gap? There's a couple of ways. The first way is the lawyer's approach. And I got to tell you at the onset, it's not the best way. So after he answers Jesus' question, what does the law say? You know, and the lawyer says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, go and do this and you will live. And then the lawyer asks another question. Remember, this guy's an expert, a law expert. And he asks Jesus, so who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor anyway? Jesus is like, come on, man. You know who your neighbor is. Ever since the word existed, neighbor simply means one who is near. So in, in asking this question, he's doing what we often try to do to make it easier for us, which is to change the to redefine what neighbor means from one who is near me to one who is like me. I want to eat, love somebody who's likable. I want to love somebody who's like me, someone who's convenient and easy to love. Let me, let me lower the bar so that I can actually do that in my own strength. And remember, he's trying to justify himself. He's trying to make himself look good. Now, I know we would all agree that none of us want to close the gap that way right? We don't want that approach applied to us. We don't want to only be loved by people who are like us. When we're in need, we're in need, and it doesn't matter who or what they believe, right? So we don't want, that's not the best way to close that gap. What is the better way? Are you ready to learn with me from Jesus the better way to be a good neighbor? Instead of redefining who our neighbor is from one who is like, one who is near me to one who is like me, the better way, and we're going to see from this story, is to let Jesus refine us, refine us to become someone who is near to anyone and everyone who's on the way. And this is where Jesus introduces us to this beautiful story, this masterful story called the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
In fact, in 1930, Archibald Robertson, a preacher of that day, said, the parable of the Good Samaritan has built the world's hospitals. And if it's understood and practiced, it will eliminate, uh, it will eliminate race prejudice. It will eliminate national hatred. It will remove war, class, jealousy. If this parable that Jesus tells, this story, if we understand this and live it out, it can remove and break down barriers so that we can simply love people the way Jesus loves us. And that's what we want. We want to be refined by Jesus to be those kind of people. And so Jesus, instead of just answering this guy's question, who's my neighbor? He tells us a story. He says, there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, Jericho, notoriously dangerous path. And this man, as he's traveling, he fell among robbers. He was jumped. They stripped him. They beat him and they departed, leaving him half dead. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being this man jumped out of nowhere, stripped down, humiliated, beaten to a pole, and then left half dead, abandoned, left all alone with no help, with no support, no one around. But some people show up. Jesus says, by chance, there's a priest going down that same road. And we, when he saw him, when the priest saw the wounded traveler, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, if you're this expert in Old Testament law, you're probably thinking to yourself, Jesus, there's no way. There's no way these two religious people who profess to love God and love people like we do. That's our rally cry every Sunday at Seacoast. Love God, love people. So this Jewish expert, he's thinking, man, there's no way. There's no way they would have passed him by. They profess it. They know it. They have the right answer. But Jesus is saying, well, this person is not an opportunity to them. This person is an inconvenience. And they're going around him and not helping him. And then Jesus introduces a third character, and he says, but a Samaritan. And at this point in the story, I'm ha I have no doubt that if, if you or I were this Jewish law expert, we would have leaned in a little bit more. We our, we would have, our interest would have been peaked a little bit more because Samaritans and Jews had centuries-old animosity. Because of racial and religious differences, they had major conflict. They did not get along. Jews considered Samaritans to be outcasts, half-breeds, strangers. So I have no doubt that this lawyer is expecting the Samaritan to do worse than these religious leaders are doing. But Jesus actually takes a shocking shift and he says, but the Samaritan, as he's journeying, he came to where the wounded traveler was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion was the difference. Some versions say that this Samaritan had pity or was sorry for this beaten, broken, abandoned man. But that really doesn't do this word justice. Compassion is the Greek word splagnon. It refers literally to our, our internal organs in our gut. What he's saying is this Samaritan had a gut-wrenching moment of sympathy where he couldn't not respond. And I know you've been there before. Maybe others weren't affected by something, but something wrecked you. And you said to a friend or you said to your parent, you said to your spouse, I can't not do something here. I just can't not do something. Have you been there before? 
And I am sure where people have said that to us before. I can't not do something for them. I, I've been wrecked to my core. I, this is a gut-wrenching moment. And I have to step towards them instead of stepping around them. And that's what the Samaritan does. And that's how Jesus begins to refine us. What does he say about the Samaritan? He says, well, he goes towards where he was. He binds up his wounds. He pours on oil. And well, I mean, he's down there in the dirt, right? He's down there in the dirt. He's taking his own supplies, his own resources, sparing no expense. He doesn't care about the cost. He doesn't care. It's not a waste to him. It's an investment in somebody's life. And he's pouring on oil and wine. And then he, and then he lifts up this man and places him on his own donkey and walks with him all the way to the nearest inn. And he stays with him. It says the Samaritan took care of him. He stayed with him all night long. Now, I don't know about you, but it takes a lot for me to stay with strange people. Relatives sometimes are strange. It's hard for me to stay with strange relatives. It's definitely hard for me to stay the night with somebody totally out of the blue. Would you agree with that? We're not prone to do this sort of thing, right? And then he wakes up and he says to the innkeeper, hey, listen, I want you to take care of him. And whatever more you spend, here's my car. Put it on my tab. I'll take care of it. Spare no expense. I'll be back. And he's, he's saying here, I will repay when I come back. He's not leaving this man alone. He's not going to abandon him. He's going to stay with him to the end. And so Jesus, in his masterful fashion, he gets to ask the question now. And he says, now, lean in with me. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? You remember the lawyer's question? He said, well, who's my neighbor? What's, what's the limit? What's the lowest bar? Who do I have to love? Who's my neighbor? Jesus actually flips the question and he says, who became a neighbor? And just like you, the lawyer has the right answer. And he says, well, it was obviously the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, yeah, go and do this. Go and do Likewise, that's the kind of neighbor we want to be, right? That's the kind of neighbor we want in our life. That's the kind of neighbor I want to live by, travel with, work with, whatever. The first question is the easy question. Who's my neighbor? It's anyone who is on the way, who may at times appear to be in the way. Everyone who's on the way is your neighbor. As we travel through life, it's everybody and everyone who's on the way. The greater question that Jesus asks is who became the neighbor? How do we become that kind of person? How does Jesus refine us? We want to see a three things of how Jesus refines us to become that kind of person. The first thing is we recognize our own brokenness. If you're anything like me, when we read this story, I highlight the hero and the hero would have been who the Samaritan, right? It would be like, man, that's the hero. That's the person I want to be. I want to throw on the cape and go out and try to save the day to my own strength. But the point is, that's not who we naturally tend to be. We need, we need to identify first with somebody else as Jesus refines us. The person I believe that we should first identify with is the wounded traveler. We can all feel his pain if we just slow down for a moment, right? We've been stripped down, humiliated, maybe by regrets from decisions we made or mistakes that were made against us, feeling ashamed or humiliated. 
We've been wounded before by words that were spoken to us. I mean, I still, in thinking about this message, man, wounds still would come to mind of words that were spoken to me that, that were hurtful, that we maybe still feel wounded by. And then we've all felt abandoned. We've all felt left alone thinking, man, does anybody see me? Does anybody really know what's going on? How alone I feel, how lonely I feel. We can all identify with that person, right? And the more we identify with the wounded traveler, the more likely we are going to be to show, compass- to show compassion to wounded travelers. So Jesus says, let's identify with this wounded traveler. Recognize our own brokenness. Thomas Akempis, he's a classic Christian author. He says, we are all frail, but you should judge no one more frail than yourself. Imagine the difference it would make in stepping into your living room at home, stepping into your workplace, stepping onto the team, whatever it might be. If we would say, you know what? I'm the one in this situation most in need of God's grace. I'm the one most in need of God's mercy here. God, now use me to bring your mercy and your love to other people. It will reduce judgmentalism. It will reduce criticism. If we're saying, God, I'm the one most in need in this moment of your grace. And he refines us from that attitude. The second thing is we're recognizing our brokenness is now we receive mercy from Jesus. I love how St. Augustine and his interpretation of this passage, he highlights the fact that as Jesus is telling this story, he's actually, he's actually putting himself as the good Samaritan, that Jesus himself is actually the ultimate Samaritan, the one who sees us in our brokenness, the one who heals us with his mercy, the one who steps towards us when others go around us. My, my wife uh, enjoys running and, and walking, and or she's, she found these perfect sunglasses. They're called gooder glasses because they don't slip and they block the sun and they look pretty good on her, especially. This is not an endorsement for gooder, but if any gooder representatives are, representatives are here, we'll talk to you about that. In a sense, in a sense, Augustine is saying Jesus is the gooder Samaritan. He's the ultimate one from the outside who stepped into our mess, stepped toward us when others stepped around us to rescue us, to restore us, to give us hope, and to send us on our way and to stay with us to the end, sparing no expense. We receive mercy from Jesus. This begins to refine us to be that kind of neighbor. I love where Brendan Manning, one of my favorite authors, I love where he says, the compassion of God in our hearts opens our eyes to see the unique worth of each person. And that was the difference, wasn't it? They all saw the same thing. We've been there before where we're seeing the same thing that other people are seeing, but something is happening different inside of us that's causing us to step towards them to bring mercy that we've received. What was the difference maker? It was compassion. There were two religious leaders didn't have it. The Samaritan, he says he had compassion and he stepped towards him. You know, as we continue to restore and rebuild and climb out of this past year, a lot of labels are being put on it. COVID culture, cancel culture. How about we step into the story that Jesus is sharing and create a compassion culture? Compassion eliminates differences. It breaks down barriers. It sees the person. It doesn't see the things about the person. And it steps towards them to show mercy. 
It was uh, not only Brennan Manning who had the quote about compassion, but Henry Nouwen. As we identify with this wounded traveler, he says, now we become what's called wounded healers. We are bringing the healing and the hope that Jesus has brought to us. Henry Nouwen says, compassion is born when we discover in the center of our own existence, not only that God is God and man is man, but that our neighbor is really our fellow man. He's saying our neighbor isn't just the person who lives 10 feet beside you or 10 acres beside you, regardless of what, depending on what neighborhood you live in. Your neighbor is anyone and everyone on the way. Our neighbor is truly, is really our fellow man. And that's one of the things I love as Jesus tells this story. There are four characters in this story, three of them. We have their profession, their race, and their religion. You have the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. But there's one character who's completely anonymous. No name, completely uh, unnamed. It's the man, right? There was a man. It could have been you. It could have been me. It was just a human being. In fact, Jesus uses the most generic word for man that, that he could have used, anthropos. Some of you love anthropology, the study of man. Some of you love anthropology, the study of shopping, right? Anthropology stores, am I right? <laughs> so he uses anthropos, which simply means human being. In a sense, as he's sharing this story, he says, listen, this was just a human being in need of mercy, in need of grace, in need of love. He is just a human being, just like any of us. Let's become wounded healers that bring the mercy of God as we receive the mercy of God. So what's the last thing? Jesus is refining us. We recognize our brokenness. We receive his mercy for ourselves. You know, if we've never placed our faith in Jesus, if we've never said, yes, Lord, come bind up my wounds, forgive me of my sin. The cross is the greatest demonstration of Jesus coming towards us, stepping near to us, laying down his life for us. In fact, Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, God demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He steps into our mess, gives us his mercy, restores us so that now we can go and be his vessels for other. And that's how he leaves it. That's how he leaves this story. And that's how we are challenged. How are we going to walk away from Jesus? He says, go and do likewise. Go and release mercy. Release the mercy freely that you've been freely given. Show up and show mercy. Constable says that Jesus showed in this way that the real test of love is action and not profession. You see, to the two religious people, this wounded traveler was, was in the way. It was an inconvenience that they stepped around. And sometimes that's true of my life. I don't want it to be that way. I want to be refined by Jesus to where I act and respond like the Samaritan, where I go towards those situations. And we want to be those kinds of neighbors. And it's really quite simple, finding neighbors, right? We could do big things like join the serve day like, like we did yesterday, and that was great. And there's going to be more of that to come. But I think the point of this story as these men and these people are just traveling on their way is that our neighbors are everywhere around us. They're in the daily route and routine of life. We don't often have to go out of our way to find people who are on the way. It might be as simple as you're, you know, you're the familiar barista who makes your coffee. 
your workplace buddy, your friend on the team, whatever it might be. It's just people on the way who are in need of the mercy that we have, we, have, we, that we have received. I remember not too long ago, it was the end of the school year. I was rushing to go pick up our two oldest daughters, and I was trying to pick them up on time so that I could get them to where they were going on time so that I could be on time for the first time, <laughs> which didn't happen. But I was just in a rush, racing to, to pick them up from school in a very, at a very safe speed, very cautious manner, and um, passed by this person that was sitting on the side of the road, clearly in need, clearly an opportunity to stop, go and spend some time with them, see if there was any way that I could help, but just passing thought zoomed right by, went and picked up my daughters, and they jumped in the car and were driving back down the road. We passed by the same person, and from the back seat, my oldest daughter says, hey, dad, I wonder if there's anything we can do. I wonder if, there, I wonder if we can help that person in any way. And it was just that question. It was just that question that created a pause, created some space for God's compassion to come in. Because we, listen, we can't, we can't manufacture compassion in ourselves. We can't manufacture compassion in ourselves. I know you've been there before where maybe a friend or a spouse is, is engaged in something, looking at something and wrecked by something sad or something tragic, and maybe you're in a different world, and they're like, yo, aren't you seeing this? Doesn't this bother you? And you're like, oh, wait, um, yes, yes, that bothers me. I'm so sorry that happened, and you're trying to manufacture compassion, but it's just not working, right? We can't produce this in and of ourselves. We can't manufacture compassion. Like if I came up to you and say, hey, Jim, show compassion right now, he'd be like, I, I, I'm, I'm unable to just manufacture compassion. It has to come from the outside in. It's God's compassion and mercy filling us and becoming what we're not inside of us to make us who he wants us to be. And I wonder what it would look like. I wonder how different our world would be if we left from here, if we left from here asking, how can I show mercy in this moment? How can I be the one that brings mercy in this moment? I have no doubt that our culture would begin to shift in a direction that goes towards God's kingdom. If we would leave from here asking, God, how can I bring mercy? And guess what? It most likely starts with the person next to you, the person around you, the person in your home, in your workplace, the the people who are easy to find, but hard to love. That's who it starts with. And, and compassion has a contagious effect. Let's be those people who leave from here asking, how can I bring mercy in this moment? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that when you saw us in our brokenness, thank you that when you saw us just wrecked by our sin and things that we've done that have fallen short, of your holiness, of your goodness. You didn't go around us, but you came to us carrying the cross. And you were lifted up on that cross, dying for our shame, dying for our sin. It was by your wounds that we are healed. We are so thankful for that in this moment. We want to be filled with that mercy, filled with the compassion that you've had towards us. And we want to go and release that to others in the culture around us today. Help us 
In Jesus' name, amen. So maybe you're here, and um, as we step into response time, just processing, God, what are you saying to me? And what do you want me to do about it? Maybe you're here, and you can really identify with this wounded traveler. Maybe you're sitting here like, man, I, I feel that way right now. Maybe you feel far from God, and it's just a simple cry of, God, I want to step close to you. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus to be your Savior, saying yes to what he did for you on the cross, for him to forgive you of all of your sins, to welcome you into his family forever, removing all abandonment, adopting you as his own. Maybe you would want to go to the cross and put down yes, nail it to the cross as a demonstration of putting your faith in Jesus as your Savior. Maybe there's another area in your life where, man, you still feel wounded and those wounds still affect how you see people or, or prevent you from stepping towards helping other people because you feel insecure, or you feel beat down, or you feel humiliated. Let's, let's take care of that in this time. Let's say, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness, your healing for this. Maybe bring that to the cross as well. And we have prayer teams that are full of faith. One of my favorite things about response time is coming forward for prayer. And you may have walked in with something and it has nothing to do with what we've talked about today but you sure don't want to walk out with air carrying that burden. Maybe it's a burden for yourself. Maybe it's a burden for somebody else that you brought in carrying. They want to help offload that burden. Jesus said, cast your cares on me. I will care for you. Come forward for prayer for yourself or someone else for healing, for strength, for encouragement. We have candles in the back. We can light candles just as a, as a time to pray. Say, God, I want to pray for my friend, pray for my family member who needs you right now, who needs you to step close to them to receive their mercy. We have communion where we remember as we take it, we remember the, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus for our sins. So what is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Let's respond together.